This is Sam. This is Paul. And this is Southpaw. announcements. We have our official second Patreon sponsor, Jason. Jason, you a legend. You the fucking man. You the best ever. To you, Jason, we salute thee. And if you'd also like to be a Patreon sponsor, find us on patreon.com slash southpawpod, pod as in podcast. I'll include a link in the show notes. You'll get access to extended summaries for every episode show notes, bonus episodes. You also get access to our private Discord channel. And most of all, you'll be supporting us. And what's more punk than supporting Southpaw? I mean, you got bazillionaires on Patreon making hundreds of thousands of dollars a month, man. So support the little guys. Support the underdogs. Just give us, you know, what do you think, Paul? Like uh, one day's lunch money, right? If you're eating at Chipotle, it's like half your lunch money. So there you go. It's like half a Chipotle's worth of money once a month. Come on. Be the best ever! So today we're going to be discussing John Jones. We're going to talk about John Jones and his failures and shortcomings when it comes to drug testing. But it's part of a larger narrative that we seem to miss as fighters because we get caught up in the drama and the little details that make this John Jones saga so interesting and topsy-turvy. Joe Rogan always talks about what a crazy motherfucker John Jones is when it comes to his fighting style. John Jones threw a flying knee to start off his title fight against Shogun Hua. And Joe Rogan talks about that's crazy, who does that? And how he'll come out crawling when he first starts off his fight on his hands and knees. But... It makes sense that if a guy is willing to take those kinds of risks in a fight, that he'll take those kind of risks in his personal life, whether it comes to recreational drug use, infidelities, or even steroid abuse. Why wouldn't it extend to other parts of his life? Or even in his only loss, people say it shouldn't count against him, right? Against Matt Hamill. But should it really not count against him? Because it was a sign of how careless he was. And how he's willing to take risks, even if it means breaking the rules. And he's constantly shown that. The thing that makes him so great is also the thing that gets him disqualified from fights. And the Matt Hamill fight isn't the only no contest on his record now. It's his fight with Daniel Cormier that's shown as a no contest, which John Jones is now trying to get, I don't want to say expunged, but overturned and says, no, that shouldn't count against me. But more or less, you failed due to a drug test, which was your second violation. And the only reason that sentence got reduced is because, let's be real, you're willing to play snitch and rat on other fighters. I heard that the reason why he got a lenient sentence isn't because he ratted out other fighters, but the rumor was he ratted out people in the NFL. That's also very possible, but because no one has released details, we're going to be left guessing and believing rumors more or less but either way he's a snitch and he's the same guy who used to snitch on people in high school for smoking marijuana yeah so 
in terms of that, it's not too far from his character. There's patterns here. Absolutely. And as far as the UFC's pattern, the only time I could think of where a title fight was moved due to drug use in the main or co-main event was Tim Sylvia when he was originally slated to fight Andre Arlovsky at UFC 47. What happened for people who might not be aware because it was quite a while ago was Tim Sylvia still had residual amounts of the original steroid he tested positive for and he didn't think he would pass the drug test before or after the fight with Andre Arlovsky. So he was pulled from the co-main event. Andre Arlovsky was given Cabbage Correa as a last-minute replacement, which he destroyed in, I think, on a day's notice. And they eventually fought at UFC 51 for the title, and Arlovsky won that by, I think, a heel hook or, toe, or a straight ankle lock. So... When it comes to people saying there's no precedent for this, they couldn't have done that. It's like, well, it did happen. And back in the day when UFC was faced with a similar situation, they made more or less the correct call in pulling Tim Sylvia. And they said, well, we still have Chuck Liddell versus Tito Ortiz to headline, so we should be in good shape. But they were supposed to not have these issues anymore because of USADA, right? Not only were they supposed to avoid these things, it was supposed to level the playing field. So if somebody tested positive for anything, that they're able to have not just replacements on hand, but no way further in advance to prepare for such situations. And with John Jones, of all people, you should have known this could have happened. It's not even fool me once, shame on you. It's fool me five times, six times. And instead of making what I thought would have been the logical call of, either moving the title fight back or pulling him from the card, they just moved the entire event to another state. That hasn't happened since the UFC wasn't sanctioned in, I believe, Alabama. So they moved the whole thing to Puerto Rico. And I don't know what to say to this because that was under a different leadership. It was under different owners. But the things you created in place to prevent these things from happening in the future... It seems you enforce them willy-nilly or when it's convenient for you. It's amazing to me that he's been busted for cocaine use. He's been busted for steroid use basically three times if we count the last one because he did fail the drug test. Now, if his residuals are not, that's a different matter, but he peed hot again because he had to be tested for an upcoming fight. And if you look at how often he fights, I think he still fights more often than Gustafsson like average wise right so he wasn't out of the sport for that long no he wasn't and when people talk about test failures as well as the ufc can't bury this they wouldn't go against such rulings or commissions people forget that when john jones fought vitor belfort the ontario athletic commission alerted the ufc of testosterone levels that were higher than average in Vitor Belfort when they did testing. In fact, it was two and a half times above the average for a male of Vitor's age. Originally, the test results were supposed to be sent to just three UFC executives, but due to a paralegal and, I guess, email mishaps, it cut into 29 different recipients that included fighters, managers, and trainers, including Monty Cox. Now, 
they sent UFC into a full cover mode where they had to bury the story and then they had to make sure that whoever saw that didn't say anything. And John Jones himself, in this case, was a victim. And it was revealed later on that Vitor was on TRT since 2011, but a fight with John Jones took place in 2012. And his TRT usage became public knowledge in 2013. So this isn't the first time the UFC has tried to bury a story involving test cheats to keep an event. So when people say, oh, it's the new owners, oh, it's USADA trying to bury this, it's Dana White's like, they've been doing this for a while now. This isn't new. We're just finding out about it now. Wasn't there some stuff about John Jones, and this is all pure speculation and rumors, it's just rumors that have come from fighters who have trained at Greg Jackson, but something about how USADA showed up to Greg Jackson's to test John Jones, and John Jones didn't know about it, and he had to like hide at the gym until USADA left. And maybe there might have been even a footage of it because the UFC filming crew was there, and supposedly they had to bury that footage. So that's a story that Chael Sonnen talks about in his podcast and when he spoke to Joe Rogan about it. And the rumor, like you said, is that that's a story that caused USADA to implement whereabout tracking for fighters where if they aren't where they say they are and if they can't be reached within a certain time period, it counts against them. And in the future, if they do it multiple times, it'll count as a test failure similar to what they did to Vanderlei Silva. So if this is true, and we don't know if this is true or not, John Jones also could have made USADA's testing so much more annoying for other fighters. He did in his own way. He's a trailblazer of sorts. Because, you know, you hear about these stories about USADA showing up at your door like five in the morning or something, and it's just like totally disrupting training camp. And (laughs) that'd be funny if John Jones was part of the reason why it's so annoying now. That's a crazy dry snitch move where your dry snitching was so bad, it creates policies that affects everyone else in the company. Thanks, John Jones. (laughs) And as you know, Sam, there's a lot of inconsistencies when it comes to John Jones and this story of his drug testing failures that I still have trouble understanding and clearly being able to break down. So... Let's start with his most recent one, where they found traces of turinable in his system. And they said, well, this can pulse. It's been covered already where Frank Mir says, you know, I tested positive for the exact same thing. And they told me, no, that's impossible. The metabolites for turinable doesn't stay in for that long. And there's no way to test your supplements going that far back, meaning just a few months. And now Nowitzki is saying a completely different story. And his excuse is that while drug testing has gotten so much more evolved and we're only finding these things out now, which, okay, let's say I buy that. What are you going to do for all the other fighters like Frank Mir who have had certain similar situations? Does that mean that anytime trace amounts are found in a fighter system and if they request to go back into their diet what they took, are you going to grant them that? Are you going to be able to offer them some sort of compensation for not being able to fight if they're able to prove, hey, this wasn't in my system due to something I put in with full knowledge? It creates an even slipperier slope than when they allow TRT usage 
because they just said, well, if you got a note from your doctor, we'll allow it. But now the pendulum has swung so far to the other side where even the tiniest of infractions result in this wildly arbitrary punishment. Leota Machida got banned for keto supplements that you could buy on Amazon. And the only reason they caught him was because he wrote it down voluntarily on his form that, yes, I'm taking this. And he got a longer sentence than John Jones did for an actual banned substance that they found through drug testing. So I don't like this inconsistency that they're doing with fighters. So when USADA was implemented, it was supposed to be a way to catch all cheaters, whether they knowingly took banned substances or not. We saw it with Tim Means, Yoel Romero, and Josh Barnett that sometimes fighters are able to prove that their drug failures are the result of tainted supplements. And more recently, in the case of Josh Barnett, who is no stranger to failed drug tests, he took it upon himself to note that his past drug failures were the result of tainted supplements that he couldn't prove. When he got pulled from his fight against Fedor Emelianenko, and according to him, due to tainted supplements, the Athletic Commission in California asked him, well, can you prove it? What did you take? And he didn't have anything offhand. So he realized, okay, I'm never going to let this happen again. Now, whether you want to believe him or not is up to you. But the second time around when he got, or I should say the third or fourth time, depending on if you count the Bobby Hoffman testing, when he most recently got flagged for his failure in an out-of-competition testing by USADA, it turned out he had meticulously labeled everything he has taken. He bought second samples that he kept sealed. So that way, if he ever tested positive, they can test it right away. And it turned out to be the case where a tainted supplement caused his test failure. Now, he got railroaded by USADA because he had the galls to challenge him in court. And he says, this isn't right. You're taking time away from my career. And this is how I make my living. And USADA didn't like that. So they essentially froze him out of place where he couldn't fight, even though it was proven that his positive test failure came from tainted supplements. So it's this weird enforcement of rules where they said, okay, in some cases, we'll enforce it to the maximum, like Leota Machida and Tom Lawler, and others like with Tim Means and Yoel Romero. Was like, ah, okay, I guess six months, retroactive time served. So more than anything, the arbitrator, Richard McLaren, said that John Jones provided substantial assistance to catching other drug cheaters. And he's the one who determined that John Jones hasn't knowingly ingested prohibited substances. So we're going off more or less what McLaren has said, but some of the testing doesn't even add up. So another thing that gets buried is there's no scientific literature and no expert that has gone on record saying that John's positive test is a result of the same ingestion the second time he tested positive. It's just a working theory and based on the evidence shown so far, but no one has been able to conclusively prove it. In fact, Andy Foster, when he was asked by Ariel Hawani about this in particular, said that they don't know for sure if it wasn't a new ingestion and there's no real way to find out. So they're just going off of theory and guesswork. But we all know, even in Frank Mir's case, that in two years around, that might not be the case either. They might have new evidence like, oh, well, it turns out that this is the result of 
a positive test, et cetera, et cetera. That's why Nevada didn't want to jump the gun. They wanted to do a full investigation and, you know, look at the facts and take their time because they didn't want to ruin their reputation. And Nevada is the same state that sanctioned Conor McGregor versus Mayweather. Speaking of Mayweather, despite all his domestic violence cases, they're willing to license him. So if an organization like that says, wait, let's pump the brakes and look into this further. And the UFC is like, no, we got money to make. We'll move states. That's a little bit alarming. And that's also gaming the system. I mean, you're literally trying to avoid the laws of that state to go somewhere else. And commissions have always honored the ruling another commission has. So if a fighter is banned from one commission, another will usually say, hey, you can't fight here either. I think this is the first time where we saw one state saying, no, we can't allow this to happen until further investigation is needed. And California said, come right over. We're open for business. Yeah, it's the first time that I've seen one athletic commission pitted against another. And it ended up being the UFC to do it. And just so we're all on the same page, there was a significant gap. While Jones was suspended, he wasn't tested at all by USADA. So there's a 10-month window from October 2017 to August 2018 when John wasn't tested at all. Also, wasn't there some stuff about the California State Athletic Commission not getting all the information before they said, yeah, we'll license him? That's true because Nowitzki has said, well, we didn't know if we needed to share it with them at the time because we weren't sure if we were going to move the fight car to California. So they didn't provide it. The thing that always struck me as odd was that originally TJ Dillashaw and Henry Cejudo were slated to fight in Anaheim in January, but it was canceled for no reason and they moved it to the first UFC card. It wasn't as if one guy got injured and they said we had to move it to another. But shortly after, they conveniently had all the logistical pieces to put together for Jones versus Gustafson. Was the UFC alerted ahead of time? I don't know. This is just me putting on my tinfoil hat, but the timing seemed odd. And speaking of Novitsky, he's heralded by the UFC as this crusader for drug testing and a science know-it-all. Dana White keeps saying, ask Novitsky, ask Novitsky. If we're going to go by credentials, Novitsky and I have the same amount of scientific background. He's an accountant that worked for the IRS and the only thing Novitsky really has on me is dumpster diving when he dug through Barry Ponds and Lance Armstrong's trash to find dirt on them. And he actually got reprimanded by judges for doing so. Also, the way the UFC, they kind of do the sleight of hand where the way they present him, not only do they present him as a scientist, but they also present him as somebody who works for USADA. And if you're just listening to it, you don't know that he works for the UFC. Like if you're listening to it on just podcast or you're not just paying attention, you don't see that underneath his name, it'll say that he works for the UFC. So most people are listening to Jeff Nowitzki, one, thinking that he's a scientist, and two, that he works independent from the UFC, that he works for USADA when he's an actual UFC employee. Yeah, not only that, but when he was on Joe Rogan's podcast, it was essentially two UFC employees talking about why you should believe John Jones. It was supposed to be open-ended, fair for discussion. But if that was the case, why wouldn't you have someone like a Victor Kant on to show the other side? I was like, well, no, this is how people get away with 
doing drugs and being able to pass a test. And they were blaming Nevada. Yeah, you have two non-scientists talk about a scientific subject. It would be like if you and I, Sam, talked about astrophysics when neither of us have that as a background. Well, they're not only doing that, there's a conflict of interest because this is their employer. Even Brendan Schaub said on his podcast that Joe Rogan told him not to talk about this. Not only is that overt, but it's hard for the average person to find information regarding this because they usually trust Joe Rogan as an honest source. Joe Rogan has himself said he goes to bat like he is extremely loyal to his friends or people he likes. So he's extremely biased because of loyalty. He admits to that. And he says that's what makes him a good friend. But then that's what makes him that good at telling the truth or unbiased truth. If he's involved with something or it's his friend, he's never going to be completely honest about it. Oh, my friend said that? He called somebody the N-word? Oh, it's just because they're a provocateur. That's my friend. He can't be racist. And same with his company. Oh, the company I work for did that? Well, I love Dana White and the Fertitta brothers. So there's probably a good intention reason why they're doing this. They don't lie. The UFC doesn't lie. I really want to know from actual subject matter experts, such as Victor Kahn or Gregory Rajikov, where they've done doping on athletes. So they know exactly how they can get away with rigorous testing. Gregory in particular for doping all the athletes on the Russian team for the Sochi Olympics. And I understand he's under witness protection, so you can't get him. But he might be already be dead. <laughs> that's true. We don't because if somebody under witness protection dies, you'll never hear about it. Yeah, absolutely. But the fact that we haven't heard from experts other than a couple of lines from Victor Kant where he asked, well, was it a contaminated nutritional supplement that John's bought over the counter? Was it a contaminated underground steroid that has been manufactured? Because as he mentioned, you can buy testosterone and test positive for nandrolone because you get this trace cross-contamination. Why would the UFC bring on somebody that doesn't work for them to talk about this, right? Why would Joe Rogan bring on somebody that's not working for the UFC to talk about this? So these other experts who are independent of the UFC isn't going to be brought in by the UFC machine. And it's compounded by the fact that his, meaning John Jones, first failed test for steroids in UFC 200 was for drugs that he claimed were found in tainted sex pills. I believe they were clomiphene and letrozole. The second time after he beat DC in California was when he failed for Turinable. And when they asked John Jones, okay, can you prove it? What did you take to test positive for? Was it a tainted supplement? Him and his team couldn't come up with it. Not only could they not come up with it, they said, here's all the supplements that he took. And California looked at his foreman and says, there's more substances that you've brought here that you claimed he took than what was originally listed on his form of what supplements are you taking? So which one is it? Is it all these ones that you have in front of us? Or is it these few ones that you put on the form? So his team couldn't get their story straight. And even with the additional supplements that they claimed that John Jones was taking, none of them had traces of turnable. So they still couldn't explain it, how it got in the system. Now, whether you think it was time served and... You know, his camp said it was all like tainted supplements. And the first time he got busted, it was for uh, gas station 
dick pills, basically. From what I have read so far, for a Turin ball to pulse like this where it shows up again later, yes, it can happen without you taking more, but it's most likely going to happen if you took clomiphene in the past. But clomiphene was one of the things that he got busted the first time around where he said he didn't take it. It was in the dick pills he took, so it was very small amounts. But for it to pulse like this, I think you can't get it from small amounts from dick pills. You have to actually be taking it. The first test was a long time ago, so it almost makes you wonder, okay, maybe you didn't take more Turindabol. Did you take more clomiphene than you said? And maybe the clomiphene wasn't in the dick pills, but you were taking it to hide testosterone that you took in the past. It's like the old saying, where there's smoke, there's fire. And DC pointed out that he's been tested since his Olympic days, and there hasn't been a trace of suspicious activity with him. And more or less, you do the eye test with DC, and you say like, yeah, if DC has never tested positive for steroids, I kind of believe it. And with John Jones, he doesn't make it easy for people to believe him when he keeps saying, I don't know how this happened, and there's no substantial proof of well, this is what I'm taking, this is how, this is the steps that I've outlined to make sure that this doesn't happen again. Because if you're a rational fighter and you've been tested positive for steroids, you would double check everything you eat. I wouldn't be surprised if fighters who test positive will even look at the menu of the fast food that they ingest just to make sure that there's no trace of possibility like fighters in Mexico who test positive for tainted meat in their cattle in Mexico. But there doesn't seem to be any trace of that with John Jones. Sometimes people wonder, John Jones is so good, why would he take it? But look at his brothers. Look at the NFL. You got these guys who are like the top of the top in the genetic pool. They're super athletes. And they take it. It's just normal. So maybe he took it because he hangs around so many NFL guys. It's just like, we just take it to be superhuman. We're already genetic freaks and let's take it to the next level. Maybe he just took it, didn't think it was a big deal or yeah, he knows it's illegal, but he just thought it's normal. It's just what athletes at the top level do because the reason why he had a diminished sentence, the rumor is that he turned in maybe some fighters, but also NFL players. So he was around people using PEDs in the NFL. And maybe that's also why he took PEDs. Speaking of the NFL, I believe his brothers also tested positive for the same substance that John Jones was caught with. So maybe in line with your theory, he did rat out people in the NFL because it falls in line with, well, how do they all test positive for the same thing? There's so much smoke, right? It's obvious there's fire. The question is, why doesn't he get into the same amount of trouble that other fighters get, even when they might have not even taken it? They might have legitimately taken on accident through Tana supplements or whatever, but they get punished more than somebody who probably did take it on purpose. I think it's a combination of factors. One, John Jones, through all this controversy, does sell tickets as well as pay-per-views because people want to know, well, are his personal troubles going to lead to a diminished performance? Is he going to be able to still show that high fight IQ that he's always shown in the past? And it's not helped by the fact that the UFC hasn't done a good job of building future stars. If you ask the mainstream public outside of Brock Lesnar, Conor McGregor, Ronda Rousey, and even GSP, who do they really have to build? 
because you have guys that are as charismatic, as brilliant in the fight scene as John Jones. You look at someone like Tony Ferguson, uh, Max Holloway, Demetrius Johnson, Valentina Shevchenko. You could market them as fighting savants, but you don't, or they can't or choose not to. I don't know. But the whole point of USADA is to make the playing field more level and to make it more fair. But with the treatment of somebody like John Jones, if he's getting special treatment because he is such a cash cow, then he's contradicting the whole point of USADA, which is that there's favoritism and that some fighters get advantages and edges that other fighters don't. And that was the whole point of why you brought in USADA. And now USADA is perpetuating that even more where big stars can get away with things like PD use with a slap on the wrist or even in-ring antics like stuff Conor McGregor gets away with, eye pokes of John Jones to Conor. I don't know how many fouls he committed against Habib. It's two different UFCs, one for the stars and one for everybody else. The most, I don't want to say iconic, but defining image of this whole John Jones, USADA, and testing thing for me was when I saw Andy Foster sit on the same side as John Jones and defend him against a panel who wanted to get to the bottom of how was it that John Jones has a positive for this thing. And you saw Andy Foster answer on his behalf in certain occasions. And I thought, how is this fair? How is the guy, the executive director who's supposed to license you on your side and defending you and coming up with reasons why you should be reinstated? And Andy Foster is still somebody I still respect a lot due to his background as a fighter and trying to implement more weight classes and fighter safety. But I look at something like this and I think, well, how can I expect you to be fair in the future? Would you do the same thing for a Tom Lawler? Would you do the same thing for a Tim Mean? Nope. And like you mentioned, Sam, USADA was originally meant to even the playing field, but it looks like it's a cudgel used to beat down fighters that they don't like. Oh, Tom Lawler signed his membership for Project Spearhead. Well, what did he test positive for? Okay, we'll just freeze him out. And when his suspension is about to come off, we'll just release him from our contract. That's scary. Well, look at all the fighters who have left the UFC for one and Bellator. The number one gripe is that they never were treated fairly in the UFC. They were never properly promoted. And also there was always favoritism. It wasn't a sport of merit. And even looking at the fight promotion for this UFC, UFC 232, all the pre-fight stuff, all the fight countdown stuff, all the videos, the UFC kept saying John Jones was innocent. He had never taken steroids. It had all been proven in court that he never took it, that it was just tainted supplements. And Joe Rogan was saying the same thing. And now the commentators are all saying it. DC doesn't say it, but he's proven in the past that he doesn't care what he hears in his earpiece. He's just going to say his truth. But everybody else is saying the same thing that the UFC is telling them to say, which is don't say that he's been busted before, that he's a cheater. Just say the narrative that he's been proven in court that he's innocent. And that wasn't proven in court. He had to serve his time or he had to serve a part of it. And then they gave him a lesser sentence because he ratted people out. And I like how they say proven in court because scientifically they still run short of the truth of, well, it was still in his system. And it goes against the USADA procedure of zero is the amount that should be in your system. And for John Jones, you can't say there was zero. 
there are still traces and you can't prove how it got there. So it goes against that narrative of, yeah, you should be clean of all substances at all times. Now it's, well, you can if you're willing to be a snitch. And if so, we'll bend over backwards for you. But it'll also help tremendously if you're somewhat of a draw. So why even implement a system that you're not even going to follow? That it's 99% of the other fighters are going to have to follow, but the 1% of the fighters don't have to. I think it's a facade. USADA was brought in because it's no secret that the Fertitas wanted to sell. And they figured, well, if we're going to sell this product, we're going to want a uniform system of sorts, whether it's with fighters and their uniforms of having a fighter kit where there's one Reebok and maybe a couple of monster logos here and there. And in order to make sure that they say, well, how do we know your athletes are clean? They say, we'll bring in USADA, but we'll pay for them. So if we don't like the results, we can try to figure out a way to hide the results like they did with the Ontario Commission. Boxing has proven how dirty the athletic commissions are. And actually, a couple of years ago, it was the UFC talking about how dirty the athletic commissions were because they wanted to get into some states and they talked about how corrupt the athletic commission was. And that's why they couldn't get in. And it goes way back even to when the UFC wasn't being sanctioned in any states. They talked about how dirty these athletic commissions are. But now that the athletic commissions are going the way that UFC wants them, all of a sudden they're clean. Or now UFC has the bucks to do the same thing boxing was doing, that organized crime was doing. If you dig further into the Fertitas history, Lorenzo was on the board for the Nevada State Athletic Commission. And when they tried to get sanctioned, he was one of the guys that voted no. And then when the UFC eventually was selling, he bought it, made a few cosmetic changes, made a few rule changes, and boom, what do you know? It's approved by the Nevada State Athletic Commission. Or if you go back even further, the Fertitas are tied to organized crime in Texas. And that's where a lot of their money at first originated. So it goes way back with these guys. It goes way back with even uh, Dana White in Boston. Absolutely. I think it's only recently that he could breathe easy now that Whitey Bulger's dead. But the whole thing about Whitey Bulger just showing up at his door and he had no idea who this guy was, that there was no connections with them. It's like, come on. <laughs> you dig further into anything, whether it's mob or corruption politics. And now we're seeing within the fight game, it's nothing new. So when people say the UFC wouldn't dare do this, like, look at their history. Why wouldn't they? It's in their blood, so to speak. Dana White always talks about how fighting is in our DNA. Well, so is corruption and money. You could buy everything with money. No, this is a total travesty. It's like, treat everybody like John Jones or treat John Jones like everybody else. And same with some of their other fighters, like Conor McGregor or Brock Lesnar, actually. Treat them like everybody else or treat everybody else with the same charity that you're treating those megastars. Otherwise, this whole thing is a joke and it's only being used to make things more unequal for the lesser known fighters or the ones who aren't as big of money draws. So if you brought this in for fairness sake, then you have to have a blind system. You have to have a system that treats everybody equally. And right now it's making the inequality that existed before USADA even worse. What has this done for fighter safety? Fighters are unhealthier than ever. Fighters are taking more headshots than ever. Fighters are missing weight more than ever. Fighters are missing fights more than ever. And we're seeing more fighters look unhealthy in the fights before they even take any damage. 
They step into the octagon looking bad. They step into the octagon looking like they haven't fully recovered. They step into the octagon looking kind of sick or injured. If you're on the side of fighter safety and you believe that no amount of steroids and no cheating should happen, period, you are disgusted with the whole John Jones thing where he essentially got off with a slap on the wrist for a second offense. And if you're on the libertarian side of things, where you believe that you should just let fighters do what they want and it goes against the individual rights of the fighter, you are still upset at the fact that John Jones is able to snitch on other people and their right to do whatever they want, and he got rewarded for it. And they say, that's not fair. How is it that somebody who is trying to take the livelihoods of other fighters who have done nothing wrong and now you're creating more problems for them, that shouldn't be rewarded either. So he's offending everybody. Look at Bellator or one. They don't have nearly the same stringent standards of drug testing as UFC, yet they're perceived by fans as being more fair. Listen, if only the stars get to cheat, then an organization where everyone gets to cheat seems a lot fairer. I mean, really think about it. The organizations that don't have USADA have better reputations amongst fighters. Even the fighters who have always been the ones who boycotted against PEDs and who've always hated cheaters and who've always been the most vocal and vehement against PEDs, they even see Bellator and One and some of these other organizations as being more fair. Eddie Alvarez and Mighty Mouse didn't go to One to do PEDs. You don't have somebody like Gegard Mousasi and Rory McDonald going to Bellator because they want to do PEDs. These are people that you would never suspect of those things. They went because even though those organizations don't have USADA, they're fairer. And I think that's proof enough of our point.